be marking that number, 298, and be ready to sing in just a little while as we will engage in a few moments in the study of God's Word. But before we do that, I would be very ungrateful if I did not take just a few minutes to thank you, first of all, for the opportunity to have been with you in this series of gospel meetings. I always enjoy meeting work. I don't know when I've enjoyed one anymore. I always enjoy gospel meetings. I've had very few bad experiences during them. And you have been certainly a great pleasure uh, to me this week. I came on Monday not feeling very well. I uh, woke up with a stomach bug on Monday morning about 3 o'clock and uh, was not feeling well most of the day. And uh, Barbara and I both have suffered with that this week, but you have lightened the burden tremendously. And uh, you have been very encouraging, and we appreciate uh, uh, your encouragement in throughout this week. I'm glad that Barbara and my mother-in-law, I, I call her my first mother-in-law, uh, but uh, she is a joy. Glad that she could make it and be with us tonight. And I appreciate those who have inquired about my mother. She's 93 years old. I spend usually Tuesdays and Thursday nights with her each week. And uh, the other children take their turn as well. We've been able to keep her at home. But I would appreciate an interest in your prayers on her behalf as she battles Alzheimer's and uh, other health-related matters. But uh, we still have some really good times together with her. I want to thank the eldership here for the invitation to be with you in this series of meetings. It's been a pleasure to get to know Brother Peak better. I had known him in past years, but not real well. Of course, I've known Roger for a long time from the Free Will community, and I've met Brother Eddie Frizzell this week, and I appreciate these brethren and the work that they're doing, and I hope that you will hold up their hands uh, as was done with Moses and his leadership role. And, uh, of course, it's been a joy to be associated uh, with Randy and Denise. As I said earlier, I was honored to perform their wedding ceremony. And uh, Randy told me that he wanted it short and sweet and uh, that he would pay me well to make sure that it was short and sweet. And so he said, Edward, I'm going to give you $10,000 to do this ceremony, and I will deduct $100 for every word you use. We got up in front of everybody, and I looked at him and said, take her. And he said, I do. I looked at Denise and said, take him. She said, I do. I said, took that's by far the most money I've ever received. For, no, I'm kidding about all that. I was very honored to be a part of that. And I can't let Brooklyn get by without telling this story that Barbara and I have thought was so sweet through the years. She was just a little tyke when they got married. She was there on the stage with them. And we closed that ceremony, and I said, Now, Randy, you may kiss your bride. Brooklyn went like that 
And I've always remembered her for that. And Barbara and I have had such wonderful memories of that beautiful scene. But uh, it's just been a, a joy to be with them. And I know that you will continue to encourage him in the preaching of the Word. He's a good man. He's a good preacher. And uh, you will do well to keep him here and work. let him work with you. And I know that... He'll bless you, but you will bless him, as you already have, for the past four years. And that's, that's a good, good way to look at it. I've been at Carthage now since 1976, and uh, it really seems like a very short time. <clears throat> and some people have asked me how in the world I've stayed there that long, and I usually tell them the customary joke, you know. They didn't want no preacher, and I was the nearest no preacher they could find, so they kept me. But uh, I told the elders when I'd been there 20 years, they had a little get-together for me and Barbara, and uh, I told them I appreciated it, and, but it wasn't necessary. Uh, we were honored by it, but I said, uh, when you guys get ready for me to leave, you tell me, and when I get ready to leave, I'll tell you, and in the meantime, let's just work and preach the gospel and try to work together in unity and harmony. And we've been blessed in that regard. And I can't uh, close my comments without uh, thanking the ladies for the wonderful meals uh, that you have prepared each night. And that fellowship that Randy spoke about earlier has truly been sweet. And I have enjoyed that immensely. All the good stories that we've swapped and uh, the encouragement that uh, we've all tried to give one another, that's been wonderful, and that's uh, one of the fringe benefits of preaching. And uh, had I felt a little better, this no doubt would have been a 10-pound meeting as well. But I guess it's been about a five. At any rate, I wasn't able to eat as much as I normally do, but we have enjoyed every bit of it. And I want to compliment, too, as I mentioned Sunday, Brother Local Talent, the song director, the song directors have done really well during this meeting. And this is a splendid building in which to sing. And you folks enjoy singing. And I want to take this opportunity to invite all of you to come down and be with us at our singing the last Friday night in September. Brother Harold will tell you about it. He's got a schedule. He's been with us for several years. And uh, we'd love to have all of you to come and be with us. Uh, so many have been here every night. We are honored by your presence. I thank you for your marvelous attention, and uh, I do hope that the lessons have been helpful in some way. This is Wednesday night. We have more than the typical Wednesday night crowd. We have some of those people who have come tonight from other congregations for whom we're going to have to write an excuse note now, and uh, we'll be happy to do that. But... Uh, we want to study with you tonight a lesson that I hope will help identify some of the problems of our times and also give us some encouragement and perhaps ammunition with which to deal with those times. And we would do well to remember at the very outset that we are not the first people who have ever faced difficulties. And that being said, we can go back through the Bible and find numerous examples of people who faced very difficult situations. 
And yet they saw them through. They made it through those times. And oftentimes they came through stronger than they were when they entered them. I want to direct your attention tonight to the third chapter of 2 Timothy. And our study will be based on that chapter. The Apostle Paul introduces the chapter by saying, This know also, that in the latter days, or that in the last days, perilous times shall come. He is therein sounding the warning that perilous times are going to come. So at the very first verse of this chapter, he tells us about the times. We live in the final dispensation of time. We who have watched and used the old Jewel Miller film strips know about the patriarchal, mosaic, and Christian dispensations. History falls logically into those three periods of time. From Adam to Moses, God revealed his will to the fathers, hence the patriarchal. He spoke to the fathers, and they were responsible for teaching their children the law of God. Then there arose Moses, the great lawgiver. Uh, he would give this law to a nation of people who were to be God's peculiar people. They were to be His special treasure because through them the Messiah would come into the world. That seed of woman promised back in Genesis 3.15, the one that would eventually be identified by Isaiah to be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. And He would be the one for whom all the Jewish people would be looking down through the centuries. That law of Moses was designed to keep those people different. They were not to be like the people around about them. It was very strict. It had a lot of characteristics designed to keep them within uh, the guidelines of God's will. Not only did you have the Ten Commandments, there were a lot of other laws as well that had to do with social relationships, morality, civil laws. It served as religious, civil, moral. It served all those purposes. At any rate, the people often strayed from that. God would have to chastise them and then they would come back. He even sent them into captivity. After a period of about 70 years, he brought them back. And he kept that chain alive. You see it uh, in the story of Joseph. Uh, we find that the Jewish people are in danger. Ja Jacob's family is in danger of starving. Joseph becomes their savior. And it's a great study to study Joseph and Jesus. Just lay them alongside one another and look at all the similarities between the two. At any rate, the story of Esther. The Jews are about to be destroyed again. 
Time and time again, through the providence of God, he cared for his people and brought them safely through so that the prophecies that had been made concerning the one who would come could be fulfilled, would be fulfilled, in spite of all the things that were against them. When Jesus was born, there was Herod waiting to destroy him. The devil wanting to destroy him, to kill him. And yet in the providence of God, he was preserved. And there was another Joseph who is to be given a lot of credit there. There's another great study of a good man named Joseph in the New Testament who stands as a great example for what fathers ought to be today. At any rate, Jesus was born. He lived and he died. He fulfilled the law of Moses, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. I've often thought about that statement, he took it out of the way. Sometimes when we were growing up in Jackson County, people would say, you need to get that out of the way. We knew exactly what they meant. It impeded progress. It stood in the way of something that needed to be accomplished. So when Paul said he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, he made possible the reconciliation of Jew and Gentile together to God, as seen in Ephesians chapter 2, where both, the, the twain, become one in Christ both Jew and Gentile, a marvelous study. So we call this properly the Christian dispensation. Christ has the preeminence in all things. He came and in spite of his death, in spite of going into that Hadean realm, he came forth triumphant over the grave in death and was able to establish his kingdom in spite of all the powers that were against him, in spite of all the forces of evil, in spite of the very best efforts of the devil. The church, the kingdom was established, and he rules and reigns over his kingdom at the right hand of God this very day in 2011. This is why we call it the Christian dispensation. The dispensation wherein Christ is the chief lawgiver. He is our Lord. He's our master. He's the promised one. He is the anointed of God. He is our high priest. The book, book of Hebrews identifies him as being superior in every regard to anything and everything that the Levitical order had to offer. The priests under that law would die and another would come. There was a changing of the priesthood. But the priesthood of Christ is after the order of Melchizedek, the writer says, without beginning or end, continual. And therefore it is vastly superior to anything that has ever come before. Now, we live in that last dispensation, during which times, Paul says, perilous times 
shall come. Paul was quite acquainted with that word perilous. The Greek term means difficult. There are difficult times to be borne by all. Uh, there's an idea in the word that means hard to bear. Even the word fierce is used to define it. There are times that are so difficult to face that they're somewhat like a, a fierce animal. I like one of the sayings, and I believe it's life's little instruction book, or it might have been some of the sayings that an old farmer penned. Gave, giving advice to his son, he said, Son, don't ever corner anything that's meaner than you are. Now, I can identify with that, having grown up on farm. There are some fierce things that we have to face in life. And Paul is telling Christians there's going to be some times that will be fierce. And it's going to take a strong faith to stand in face of them. And you'll remember when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he listed that string of perils, not pearls now, that come out of oysters, but perils, P-E-R-I-L-S. He talks about all the difficulties that he had faced in peril of the sea and peril of his own countrymen, and on and on and on he went talking about the difficulties that he personally had faced. He knew whereof he was speaking when he said, perilous times shall come. He probably didn't think he was making it hard enough on Christians when he was persecuting them. But when the shoe was on the other foot, he understood full well, persecution is not easy to bear. Persecution is difficult, it's hard, it's fierce. And he wanted Timothy to know as a young evangelist that there would be difficulties that he would be called upon to face and that he would have to endure. That would be very difficult to go through with. That's true of life in general. Now those are the times in which we live those were the times in which Timothy lived. Now, after thinking about the times, I want you to notice three points that Paul makes in 2 Timothy 3 about those times. In the first place, he talks about the trends of those times. Have you ever noticed, uh, if you have a computer, you pull up uh, your news page, if you have Yahoo or whatever, and there'll be a little box over here that will say trending. Here are the stories that are really hot today. These are the things that are trending. Have you ever noticed the trends through which we go? I look back at some of the pictures of the ties that I wore in the 70s. In fact, I still have some of them hanging in the closet, Randy. We were talking about that earlier. And I think, why in the world would you wear a tie like that? The trends have changed. I had one that had, of all things, anchors and skunks on it. I remember wearing that 
to the hospital in Indianapolis one time. Oh, it was a flashy tie, very in style. And this lady was in a room with a sister from the church where I preached. And as I customarily did and still do, I went over and spoke to her, wished her well, and she extended her hand to shake hands with me. And when we got hold of, she got hold of my hand, she wouldn't turn it loose. I'd never met her before and, I, you know, had reservations about that. I didn't want to be holding hands with a strange woman. At any rate, I, find, I kept looking for an opportunity to extract my hand. She said, oh, that's a beautiful tie. What is that on it? I said, ma'am, that's a skunk. That's what you smell. And I pulled my hand away from hers. That's how I got away from her. I had that tie on that day. But those are trends. We see trends in hairstyles. We see trends in cars. Have you ever noticed how similar all the cars on the road looks? It doesn't matter if they're a Nissan, Toyota, Chevrolet, Ford, whatever. They all got the same blocky look back there. The taillights look pretty much the same. We drive an old, we got a little old Corolla that Barbara just won't part company with. It's about 40 miles to the gallon. I kind of like that thing too. At any rate, it looks just like a Chevrolet prism that was built at the same time. That's the trend. That was the trend. Now, it's getting old now. But all, if you noticed in the subdivision, all the houses, maybe every other one will be a little different, but they all look pretty similar one to another. There are trends to these times. I want you to notice how Paul describes them. During these perilous times that will come in the last days, he said men shall be lovers of their own selves. There is the mother of the brood. That's selfishness, pure and simple. Brother Gar Agee, that a lot of you have known in past years before he passed away, he and I were sitting right here on the seats reserved for us at Baghdad. That's where we always sat. Right here on the front seat. I was on the end. He was sitting... Uh, well, I forgot now whether. Anyway, he's sitting there one morning, and he said, Edward, I was just a young preacher. He said, what do you believe is the biggest problem in the church? I said, Brother, Brother A.G., I wouldn't really have any idea. I'd never really thought about it. He said, I believe it is selfishness. And boy, over the years, I've come to think that's just about the biggest problem we have. Because people are lovers of their own selves. They think more of themselves than anybody else. Selfishness is a big problem. But he goes on, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. It sounds like a modern-day newspaper, doesn't it? Those are the trends of these times where people desire more and more. They get more and more, and the more they get, the more they want. And some get to the point where it doesn't bother them at all to take advantage of somebody else in order to get more. Covetous people. Beware of covetousness, Jesus told his disciples. Paul said covetousness is idolatry. It's a form of idolatry. 
We have come to that point in time where we want more and more. Somebody said that we want more and more to, in order to impress people that we don't even like, you know. Try to outdo one another. I've known people that live very simple lives. Remember an old gentleman that used to live close to us? Lived in a little, I think it was a one-room house. There might have been another little room, lean-to on the back. Sat on the front porch right back against the wall in a straight-back chair. I believe he was just as happy as anybody anywhere. Washed his face and his hands in a dish or a wash pan on the handrail on the porch. Got through, he'd throw his water out, you know. Shaved his whiskers down here, but had a mustache right here. He didn't have a lot, but he had everything he needed. I've always been a big fan of Robert E. Lee. A lot of people were. You know, after the war between the states, he not only was a very popular figure in the South, he was very popular in the North. And there was a haberdasher up north that thought so highly of General Lee that he sent him a new hat. Or told him, made him an offer, said, you give me your measurements and I will make you a brand new hat. General Lee sent him a message back and said, I truly appreciate your offer. But I have a perfectly good hat that will last me all year. And I have no need for another one, especially when so many of my southern neighbors have nothing. You see, he was content with just one hat. Now, I like to wear a black hat in the wintertime, and I've got two or three of those things, thanks to my lovely wife and my daughters. They want to make sure that I have one of those hats when I wear one out. Or, as happened, you know, somebody takes one from the seat where I left it in the restaurant, you know, I'll have another one. So I've got a spare. But we want so much, so much of the time. Notice, boasters. Oh, have you noticed anybody boasting lately, especially when they score a touchdown or hit a home run? I always liked Chuck Noll with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He told his boy, son, when you run into the end zone, when you score a touchdown, hand the ball to the referee and just run off the field and act like you've been there before and expect to get there again. I like that. That may be old school, but I like that mentality. Proud. Do you know anybody that has any problems with pride? Blasphemer. Speaking against God and things that are holy. Profaning things that are sacred and divine. If we had the time, we could do a good study on that from the book of Leviticus. Where God's priests were told, don't you profane things that are holy. Be sure they are kept holy. And that included the Sabbath and all the things that related to it. Disobedient to parents. One foreigner, I've forgotten whether he was from China or Japan, came to America, and when he was asked what he thought about America, he said, it's the only place I've ever been where the parents obey the children. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Ingratitude. 
unholy, without natural affection. How is it that a mother or a father could kill their own children? How has that developed in our society? In a supposed Christian nation, it goes on to talk about truce breakers. Most of us in this audience remember when two men in this area shook hands on a deal, that was it. They didn't have to sign any papers. They didn't have to get anybody to sign a note. They made an agreement and they kept their promises. Their word was their bond. He goes on to talk about those that are despisers of those that are good. Have you noticed how many times that those who stand up for what is right are put down and criticized and identified in all sorts of unkindly ways? Ah, oh, Paul was right on the money. He said, Timothy, these things are going to happen. You see, these trendsetters have a form of godliness. Verse 5, but deny the power thereof, uh, for from such turn away. For of this sort are they who creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts. They take advantage of unsuspecting people. They take advantage of those who are uninformed or ill-informed. They're ever learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. There are so many who fit into that category today. Knowledge is a wonderful thing. But any knowledge that leaves God out of the picture is not really knowledge at all. Because it is void of the greatest truth of all truths. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's where it all begins. In religious education, in preaching and teaching the gospel, in our homes, wherever. That's where it all begins. And He will have the final say. So you see the trends of the times and you see the traits of those trendsetters. And then I want you to think for a moment about the threats of these times. Notice beginning in verse 8, he said, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs was also. Now notice, there are going to be those who will oppose the faith. Paul wanted Timothy to know that, and we need to understand that today. I think most of us in this audience know that full well. Jesus warned that false teachers would come, that they would robe themselves in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they would be ravening wolves. The wolves would circle the flock and 
pick off the strays, pick off the weaklings and so on and dart in and grab a lamb and run away with it when they could. We know that picture. We know it quite well. I noticed just the other day a story in the paper about the reintroduction of red wolves in this state. And there was a picture of two cute little puppies. At any rate, we know about the wolves. We've heard those stories, you know, Little Red Riding Hood, all of that. Jesus uses that figure to depict false teachers. These are the threats of these times. Janice and Jambres are thought to have been the magicians in Egypt who withstood Moses. And, of course, they were able to duplicate some of the plagues. But finally, those plagues became so difficult, so hard, that they couldn't reproduce them. And sure enough, as Paul says, their folly became apparent. It became very apparent to all. Even the Egyptians learned who was really God and who wasn't. It is said, I've never studied this in great detail, but I have read where each one of the plagues was designed to attack an Egyptian god to show that that Egyptian god worshipped by those people was nothing more than an idol. Wasn't a god to be worshipped or revered or feared? It was just a, an inanimate object or a part of nature created by the one true God who was demonstrated to have power over the waters of the Nile. The God who created the Nile. You see, God was always proven to be the one in control. And so before it was over, the Egyptians were saying to the Hebrews, Go out of our land. We cannot stand in the face of your God. They even gave them some belongings and so on to hasten them on their way. Because it became so apparent that the true God was in their midst. And when God passed over Egypt and the death of the firstborn occurred, Pharaoh could no longer take it. He stopped trying to make his deals and compromises, and he allowed the children of Israel to leave. Now notice, these people withstood Moses. False teachers withstand the men of God. They will make all sorts of statements against those who try to preach and teach the gospel in its purity and simplicity. They will attack very viciously. They resist the truth. They're said to have corrupt minds. By what have their minds been corrupted? Uh, by false doctrine. By the desire for power, position, and prestige. I cannot help but relate to you a situation that occurred many years ago in Carthage, Tennessee. 
I was asked to meet one time, invited to meet with a group of denominational men. Their men's group met on, I believe it was a Tuesday night. And they were inviting preachers from other religious groups to come and talk about the group to which the preacher belonged. And I told them that I would be glad to under two conditions. Number one, that it did not conflict with any of our services at Carthage. And they said, oh, no, it won't. It'll be on a night when you do not meet. And I said, secondly, that there are no restrictions on what I can talk about. And they said, absolutely none. We want you to come and talk to us about whatever you wanted to. So I went and simply talked about the New Testament church, the distinctiveness of it, the plan of salvation, and the differences between what I perceived them to be teaching and what I believe the Bible to teach. And we had an excellent meeting, very congenial until their preacher jumped up and began to take me to task on a thing or two. He said, I would like for you to tell me what you believe a person must do in order to be saved. And so I told him. And he wrote it on the blackboard. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and be faithful. He drew a big circle around that. He said, I believe every word of that. I said, I'm glad to hear you say that. I challenge you to preach it Sunday morning. And we began a discussion that led to this point. He said, well, now I would probably draw a line right here. I do not believe that you have to be baptized. I said, whoa, wait a minute. You just got through saying that you believe every bit of that, and now you say you don't. Which is it? And so we talked at length about the subject of baptism, and I've never forgotten this statement that that man made. He had a Ph.D. He said, I'll have to admit that you have backed me into a corner on the subject of baptism, but I must stand by my denominational convictions. And he named the church of which he was a member. I looked at him, I'm sure with a touch of sadness in my eyes. I called him by his name. And I said, why? Why do you have to stand by those convictions when we have agreed tonight that these things are necessary and you have admitted that you can't defend what you're practicing. And I reminded him, my brethren do not want me to uphold Church of Christ's convictions. They want me to uphold the truth of God's Word. And as long as I preach that, everything is fine. When I do not preach that, they call my hand on it. 
because they want the truth. But I have never forgotten that he said, I must stand by my convictions and named the denomination of which he was a member. To me, that was so sad because he had come face to face with the truth, admitted that it was the truth, but he couldn't accept it. You see, his mind had been corrupted by a particular set of denominational dogmas to which he subscribed in spite of the fact that the Word of God said something differently. These are people that will resist the truth. Now, in contrast to that, look at the Apostle Paul. He talks about them. Then he says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all who that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. These things are going to continue, Timothy. These, th these threats are real. And you're going to have to be prepared to deal with them and face them. How do you do that? How in the world do you do that? Paul tells you right here in this chapter. Beginning in verse 14, he said, But continue thou, you, you continue in the things which you have learned, been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. Don't be turned aside. Don't be taken away from the truth of God's Word by any of these false teachers. Do not allow yourself to be deceived by them. Timothy, you know the truth. Continue in the truth. Talking to a young woman not long ago. And she was just going on and on about all these difficult things that was going on in her life. And I looked her right in the eye and I said, you know what is right, don't you? Well, yes, I do. All right, do it. Period. Do it. Oh, but you don't. Oh, I do understand. It's difficult. It's hard. Paul said it would be right here. It's not easy. God didn't say, you hear my word, believe it, repent of your sins, confess, be baptized. Everything's going to be fine from that point on. That's not what he said. Christian life is not always an easy life. Christian life right now is not a very popular lifestyle in America and in a lot of other parts of the world. So what's a Christian to do? Same thing Paul told Timothy to do. Continue thou in the things that you've learned, that you've been assured of. You know that these things are the truth, Timothy. You can depend on them. Build your life on this, not on all those trends. They come and go. And evil is going to get worse and worse. The seducers and deceivers are going to get better at their trade you've got to be wiser you've got to grow 
in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, how do you do that? Timothy, from a child you've known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Put your faith in the Lord. He said, I'll be with you even unto the end. Look unto Him who's the author and finisher of your faith. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You want to know what's wrong? Consult the Word of God. You want to know what's right? Consult the Word of God. You want to know what to believe and teach? Consult the Word of God. It's all right there that the man of God may be perfect, may be, pure, uh, may be mature, thoroughly or thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It'll supply everything that we need. It, after all, is the sword of the Spirit. A very important implement in the Christian's armor is described in Ephesians chapter 6. Friends, we do indeed live in perilous times. But again, we're not the first people to have so lived. People have been living in difficult times for many, many time, uh, many, many years, centuries even. The trends in our society are disturbing. I never thought I'd see the time that abortion would be practiced in America. I never thought I'd see the time that Gay pride would be celebrated in leading cities in America. I never thought I'd see the time when children and grandchildren would murder their parents and grandparents. I never thought I'd see the time that parents would kill their children because they were an inconvenience to them. I never thought I'd see the time that People would rob one another almost at will as if it's nothing and not even receive a slap on the hand in court. Those are trends of our times. And we could go on and on and on. But how do you deal with those just like Paul told Timothy to do? Timothy, you be faithful. You can't always control what everybody else is doing, but you can control what Timothy does. And you need to be faithful and stand for what is right in spite of all the sin that may be around you. That's what we need to do tonight. We need to do that every day of our lives. And I know that there are many of you who have suffered immensely during your life but you have remained faithful. Brother Woods used to point out, can't be perfect, but you can be faithful. Now, Barbara would probably tell you I'm a perfect husband, but if she did, she would be wrong. I'm not, but I am a faithful husband. I would say she was a perfect wife. She would say, no, I'm not, but she's a faithful wife. Most of you in this audience can identify with that. You've had a good spouse for years. You ought to be thankful for that. You've had good children, loving children. You need to be thankful for that. 
You've been blessed in a lot of ways. You need to be thankful for that. You need to turn your life over to God completely if that's not what you've done already. Then you'll be equipped and prepared to deal with the perilous times that'll surely come. Maybe you're younger and you've never obeyed the gospel. If you know what is right and wrong and you understand the need to obey God's will, then you need to be baptized into Christ tonight. If you're older and for whatever reason, I care not what it may be, you have delayed obedience to the gospel. You should not do that any longer. You have no promise of tomorrow. You may have trembled like Felix did. You have been waiting for a convenient time uh, like Agrippa did and like others did, but uh, you should not do that. It's too important. Your soul is at stake. God said, what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Of course, the answer is nothing. Think about it. Going through life, living an entire lifespan upon this earth, and then losing your soul. The tragedy of all tragedies. If you're subject to the invitation of our Lord, either as an erring child of God or an alien sinner, Randy will be here at the front to assist you. Let your desires be known as together we stand and sing.